Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Echo Podcast run by the CSC Media Society. Uh, I'm Sunny. I'm Rosanna. Um, and in this episode of the Personal Project Series, we're going to be talking to first year CSC student and startup founder Jason Yu. Uh, his startup, Vid, VidUp AI, was founded in 2019 and focuses on converting text from videos and media. Um, so, Jason, thanks for joining us. Uh, how'd you like to introduce us, uh, yourself to our listeners in terms of like what degree you're doing, what you're doing in your startup? So, um, you already introduced me with um, the <laughs> first, first year um, computer science. Um, so, a bit, more how, how, a bit more about myself. Um, I really started VidUp like about a year ago and um it really started off as a side project and um from there i've really been continuously working on it um, working with some other people and really trying to make it something pretty big cool um i guess a question is just easing in and icebreakers is what do you like to do in your spare time yeah so um some things i like to do in my spare time play some tetris go go on walks um scenic walks (laughs) and uh (laughs) exercise a bit so, um, yeah, there's some things I like to do. Cool. And is there, um, do you have a biggest achievement or something you're really proud of other than your VidUp? <laughs> um, yeah, so in high school, I actually participated in this uh, programming competition like called the Prog Comp. So it was like for high school cool. students. And um, I was uh, in a team. Uh, we, it was like a team programming competition type of thing. So we made it to the grand final. No, it came six out of eight, but um, it was a pretty great learning experience. <laughs> yeah. We were we were competing against a bunch of like crazy good teams from across the country, but uh, oh, okay. yeah, it was really fun. It was a national competition. Uh it wasn't national; it was just Australian. Um, oh. So I think uh, so there was like a few um, teams from New South Wales, South Australia, Western Australia. <laughs> it pretty was pretty good, pretty, pretty good. mad. <laughs> right. Um. So moving on. Um. Into like your startup. Uh, and vidai specifically um so just to start off what does your startup do so what we do at vidup is we essentially convert text audio and video footage to high production value content so essentially what we're doing is we're really um simplifying the whole video editing process what we found um when we were working on vidup is that most content creators they spend way more time editing content rather than actually creating their message Right, so like when you're creating a video, you start off with a video script. You know, you spend some time on that, but then, say, then you spend like, like maybe five times more time actually kind of creating a video from that script, right? And so what we're doing at VidUp is we're trying to make it so that the focus is on the message, not actually mm-hmm. creating the video. And so what we do at VidUp is we just support your message and, mm-hmm. you know, make it more powerful and strong with by adding supporting media animations and content mm-hmm. so is it kind of like um like would it just be as simple as clicking a button and then you type in what you want to make yeah. and then the ai just makes it for you that's or? that's exactly the idea so um what we've got currently is we've got a service that you know you can just put in your video script and then it creates a video um, from that and you can also put in audio files so like this podcast itself if you were to get the audio file Put that in it splits it up based on the silences in the in the audio file and it also recommends images and stuff so that are relevant to what we're talking about so say i'm talking about um ai right now um what would presumably would happen is um text recognition would see that i'm talking about ai and it would recommend an image and show that in the video so um yeah that's some of the stuff we're doing cool so is this would this be aimed to like 
say influencers or just companies or marketing? Yeah, so right now we're actually targeting podcasters, which is pretty pretty funny. <laughs> um, Here we are, we got the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, um, some other people we're also targeting is um, YouTubers. So I've got a friend who has a YouTube channel that um, does video essays. It's got like um, 10K subscribers right now. Working with him on um, <clears throat> getting him to use our service and create some videos um, from that. I think he, he does like some videos on the impacts that AI will have in the future. So cool. yeah, pretty cool stuff. Some other people, um, some other like people that we're aiming at um, targeting is actually uh, university students. So <laughs> Funny thing was like a week ago, like I think a few weeks ago, my brother had an assignment to do. We had to create a video. Oh, yeah. So what we actually did was he, we took his video script for his assignment mm-hmm. and we created a video of that. Oh, and so okay, yeah. It like recommended a bunch of images and added right. a bunch of the effects that needed to be there. And um, yeah, it was pretty cool. It's pretty interesting. Um, right. And what would you say is your role within the startup? Yeah, so, um, so prior to... Um, prior to a few months ago, um, it was just a two-man team. And so in that in that type of, um, so like it's, it was a two-man team like um, around the start. So I was mostly just working on uh, technical stuff um, because like when you're like at that early stage, it's more of like a side project. So mm-hmm. it, there's less of um, managing people and mm-hmm. more of actually getting stuff done and, you know, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know stack overflow, <laughs> stuff like that. Stack overflow and all yeah, that. Um, but um, recently, um, as we've been getting more people to um, come and join and work on VidUp, uh, I have been taking more of a leadership role and I've been actually um, kind of getting out of my comfort zone and doing a bunch of um, presentations to um, people. So getting some practice in to, for pitches and um, talking with investors, so that type of stuff. Cool. So I guess, would you st- are you still coding or are you still doing any backend stuff or is it just fully managing now? Yeah, so um, I am definitely still working on um, the backend, frontend. Um, I'm basically working on a whole um, whole bunch of stuff. And I think that's the role of CEOs at most startups. Like in the early days, um, the people who are the leaders have to be involved with everything. They need to be, they need to make, um, have a good picture of what's going on and um, be able to adapt really quickly. So I think that's a big part of being a leader in these situations. You need to be involved with everything. Yeah, definitely agree. Right, and so how did you come up with the idea? So it's, it's a pretty long story, and um, okay, it all started. <laughs> um, so I went um, in high school. One of my mates he had a he created a Reddit automation tool, mm-hmm. and um, it basically web scraped Reddit posts off the internet and converted those to videos with the like the text speech voice. So I don't know if you guys have probably seen the videos, but he actually ended up getting over two hundred thousand subscribers. Wow! And um, getting i don't know how many views he's got but he was getting millions of views per month so it's pretty crazy and so um after after graduating high school um uh we actually started working together so it was actually the programming team that um the same programming team for the procom like so me uh, my mate and uh my other mate so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. me my mate my mother mate yeah 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 so so we started um yeah that's and we started um the idea of video automation like seeing the success that uh, he had with his channel so and then after that uh, what happened is we we initially had the idea of okay so if, if reddit works what happens if instagram or facebook or twitter works and we were basically um, doing a bunch of experimentation mm-hmm. and um you know trying to get a front-end framework f- from which we could you know create these videos from 
But um, over time, we came to realize that, um, you know, this wasn't actually the best way to solve this. Like, this wasn't actually the most um, powerful idea. Like, there are more powerful ideas in the field of video automation and that's, like, targeting more general users, such as, yeah. I, said, I said it before, but, like, um, you know, podcasters, students, um, YouTubers. So, um, yeah, we ended up pivoting um, to a more general idea. And then over these past few months, we've... Um, gotten the automation algorithms and all the front end to work seamlessly together. And so we've, we're basically at the stage where we have an MVP, we're talking with users, we're trying to improve our product. And um, yeah, right now we're gonna hopefully um, talk to some investors and see what happens. Cool, I think that does lead to the next question, which is like something I'm really interested in, which is like, how did you get us started and going in the sense that firstly, in terms of investors um, and like getting the product running to like, become with a solid website and everything and then secondly it's like how did you get how did you develop the product with a two-man team especially and like mm. how did you get it going and stuff so i think um like the main thing that got us to actually like get started on these on these really big projects was just starting from a small place like so we never really and when we started we never really saw it as oh we're going to create a company we're going to make something like a billion dollar company we started off as we're going to create something cool we're going to create a really cool project that's going to do this small thing that really interests us. So it's never from the perspective of we want we want to become like startup founders. It was just, you know, as I said before, from the perspective of a passion project. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think something that did help us before was um, our team had actually worked on a, a few uh, prior uh, software projects before, such as a um, mobile running app that yep. created routes. And so I think it was really from that experience of working on different side projects. So getting a bunch of experience, working on things that you're really passionate about, mm -hmm. that really um, leads to people working on these more major, majorly ambitious projects. Um, so yeah, on that point of like um, going from the stage, like, you know, I think you said you were talking about um, investors, right? Yeah. Um, or like, how did you, like, you know how right now looking at a website, it looks like there's a product going on forward. How did you like establish that like website and like, did you get any investors going on? Or is yeah. it just personal funding? So currently, um, it's all bootstrapped. So we're not, we don't actually have that much major investment. Um, mostly, the, the most of the major costs are just from server costs, like running the Heroku, running the server, running the AWS. Mm -hmm. So it's not actually that expensive right now. Mm -hmm. um, right now, like, um, yeah, in the future, it will be more expensive since <laughs> we have to have those, that stuff running all the time. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say that um, we, we're we mainly bootstrap right now. So um, I don't think if, I don't know if the um, people watching this, uh, listening to this know about um, what bootstrapping is. So um, bootstrapping is basically like a process of um, like make, like growing your company without, um, with the money you make from the company. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're really trying to do. So it, it's kind of like, um, you know, it's, it's more like, instead of relying on money that people give to you, you make something and you grow it and you really focus on your product. And I cool. think um, that's the big idea that's in bootstrapping. So has your product actually generated like revenue as of the moment? So um, currently we haven't, we, we are planning on launching in uh, around the start of January next year. And so by that stage, um, what we're planning on doing is having a free month trial. And then after that, um, converting uh, those users into paid users. Mm -hmm. Um, so a big, so on that point of paid users, a big part of, um, 
early stage um, startups like myself, um, startups like Vidop, which are SaaS companies, so software as a service, is that um, what these companies want to do is they want to actually like serve a product to their users that their users will love. Mm-hmm. So, and the best way to go about doing that is just getting the product in the hands of the users. If if the users are like aren't getting the product and you know it's blocked behind a paywall, yeah, you're not getting any user feedback, right? Yeah. So that's a really important part um, in the early stages, mm-hmm. getting that essential um, that user feedback. Mm-hmm. So yeah, later on we will be adding those um, that those paywalls and all that stuff. But right now we're just focusing on improving the product. Sounds right, great. so it sounds like you had a bit of a plan going in. How much of this was formed before you made VidUp versus like after having made it, you decided to plan for the mm. future? So I, I really think um, like when we when we were working on VidUp for the first six months, we were just um, seeing, seeing what's stuck on the wall, you know, and we didn't really have a plan after that of like, oh, we're going to get investors, we're going to do this and that. But after we got user validation, you know, working with some users to actually um, see how they, um, what they think about the product, see them using the product. That's when we start to say, all right, hey, this can, this can actually be something that's really big. And that's where, um, that's when the planning, I guess, kind of gets started. Um, once you see that user validation. Because um, I think the problem uh, that most startups like, actually have is they, they, they start off with an idea and then they just go off creating that idea and they don't even talk to the users. They don't even see if mm. the users actually like it. And then when they co- go back to the users and say, oh, what do you think about a product? And they say, it's not really what we wanted. Yeah. They end up wasting a ton of time, right? Because they're not, they're not actually in con- like heavy contact with their users. So, um, yeah. Alrighty. And um, how much have you worked on it like since you founded? <laughs> So right. yeah. interestingly, interestingly, I think um, COVID actually played a lot into how much I put into the project. So um, after COVID hit, I had a ton of free time. Um, and what I ended up doing was I ended up spending a lot of that time on VidUp and just um, working on it, mainly out of boredom, <laughs> trying <laughs> to find something to do. Um, but yeah, as for the amount of time I put into it, it it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a while, so... I started a year ago. I think um, we, we were doing a ton of development in the early, um, from like T, T, um, T1 to T2, we were doing a ton of work um, with VidUp. And um, yeah, like if I was to say how many lines of code I did, it'd be a lot of, <laughs> it'd be a lot of code. <laughs> Cause um, yeah, the, the, whole, the whole concept of video automation does require a lot of work. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, moving pieces moving parts especially if you have a front-end framework that's all combining it together so yeah yeah it's it's a behemoth of a project to be honest yeah i'm curious like in terms of like time commitment time management how long like how much do you think VidUp took of your time would it be like as much as a part-time job Mm. or like a society you can't nod people can't see you nodding <laughs> but yeah like, he is nodding like, what, what, like, but like i guess how much time like to our viewers which on a more relatable level do you think it took well um so i was actually working a part-time job um during that time like first first six months i, I honestly think um if you're if you're working um on hmm I think it really depends because sometimes you're working a ton and then other times you're not working as much. Mm, okay. um, 
But I would say it probably is equivalent to a part-time to full-time job. Dang. Like more of a part-time. Like if I would say that, yeah, it really depends like on, on the on the stage where you're at with the thing. Because some days, I remember like some days during the holidays um, when I was working with it, I'd be doing like, um, working on it for like eight hours. Oh, yeah. Like crazy hours, just like mm-hmm. um, working on the front end. Some other days I'd just be doing like an hour or two um, like every week oh, okay. <laughs> it's really it really it's really flexible and the the good thing about um what we have right now with VidUp is we're all working remotely mm-hmm. so the good thing with that is um we're actually pretty efficient with our time mm-hmm. so i think that's that's the that's the one thing i've um i've kind of realized after covid is that the amount of time people probably spend up spend traveling uh, to meet up and then get all these other things set up it really takes a lot of time out of actually working. So yeah, I think remote working really makes things a lot easier. Uh, I think just the small, um, it's just the learning curve um, that goes into um, remote working. Yeah. So continue on the business side of things. What were the greatest challenges you would say setting up your like startup or like getting people on board? Uh, well, I think the, the greatest challenge is um, definitely finding the right idea, right? Um, finding what the users want and what they they actually wanted to use. So um, that challenge, I think is something that we dealt with a lot in the early days. So um, initially we had that idea of, oh, if it works with Reddit, it should work with Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. But um, that's not really how it worked. And, you know, that was um, a big challenge. We ended up wasting a lot of time on that um, shoot we we didn't end up wasting all the code, but um, yeah, it's the biggest problem was definitely getting the right thing, getting the right idea, and finding the right ways to, you know, find that user feedback, and you know, iterate. So yeah. Cool. Thanks. So now I'm gonna move on to the technical difficulties or the details of your startup, mm-hmm. and the first like um the first question will be like what tools and tech do you use in your startup and like for example what languages or like any um like products you've used like canva for your front end or something yeah so um for the front end we're using a uh, react um just because it's something that we've used before but it's pretty powerful language mm-hmm. um some of the tools we use on the um back end are you know python mainly python for the um server side uh we use um, MongoDB for the database mm-hmm. and uh, we use AWS for some of the um, web services that in the background that are running. So um, we have a um, EC2, EC2 server running the video processes and um, the processes uh, server. Um, but uh, I think the other thing is also Heroku. We're using Heroku a lot just to host our services. So the front end, um, our server, uh, API server, and also the landing page. So Heroku is a great tool for that type of stuff. It's really easy to set up. Um, so yeah, that's some of our um, services that we're using. Um, right, and what was the decision? Um, how's the decision made to use Python? So um, honestly, we just we were just using it at the start and I guess, you know, we didn't really think that much about it. We just started <laughs> using Python. Um, but I think the, the, the biggest benefits of Python though for um, these types of things is Python's really like fast develop. You can get stuff done really quickly as mm-hmm. opposed to C, which you know you can, you kind of need to be a lot more careful with C, of course. 
Um, but if you want to create um, big applications really fast, um, well, I think Python is the way to go. But it, it isn't necessarily the fastest. But um, yeah. You mean like the the pace of the development, not necessarily the yeah. performance, right? I think um, for startups, the it is the 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 biggest problem isn't oh how fast is it, how efficient is it. It's you know whether you can get the features out to the users um, so that they can experience it, like. I mean, if the at a certain point, um, those factors of speed do matter. But that's you know once you have like a large user base using your service. Um, so yeah, that's um, where I stand on that type of issue. Cool. How did you learn like how to code in like say React and like sort out AWS and MongoDB and the servers and stuff? Yeah, so um, I think most of the technologies that I learned, like AWS and MongoDB and all that other stuff, I just um, picked up as I um, as I was developing. Mm-hmm. So you don't actually need to like learn all this stuff prior. You just need to have like some understanding of programming languages. Mm-hmm. Go in there, and then you know once you see, oh, I need to use AWS for this service, you start looking into AWS. You start applying it, and same thing for um, MongoDB. Like all these skills and things are really easy to learn nowadays because of all the resources that are available online on YouTube. So, I mean, if you're being held back by the fact of, oh, I don't know how to code in React or I don't know how to code in AWS or whatever, yeah. that's not really an excuse. You can, there's so many resources out there that, I mean, anyone can just learn it. Oh, cool. So I guess like, like as you said, a lot of students will probably be held back by like saying, oh, I don't know how to like use AWS. I don't know how to use like, like JavaScript and stuff. So you would, would your advice to them just be like Google on the way and YouTube on the way? Is that how you handle yeah, it as well? Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's a big thing, um, I think, in the startup type of space. Like, just like learning as you go. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, people learn like way faster when they're actually doing things as yeah. opposed to just like learning, like, say, for example, like in a course. I'm not saying that courses that, <laughs> you know, a unit are bad, <laughs> but um, compared to the level of like actual interaction actual like level of immersiveness that you have when you're doing something you know it's such a big difference like i've personally found that um yeah that to be true because you can see the applications of it as you learn right yeah like it's it's more powerful that way because if if someone just tells you oh make um, solve this problem and you solve it it's not as powerful as in as when you find the problem and then you solve it it. because you're personally invested compared to when someone says I'll just do this and you'll cool. Yeah. Um, can you give us a quick level rundown of how you went from video to text file conversion and how like the back end of those things work? So um lots of the tools that we use um actually have APIs that um kind of do that all those processes. So one thing um that's really important is in, in, in software in general is don't reinvent the wheel when you don't have to. Many people um I think make the same uh, mistake of oh, I want to reinvent the wheel so it's better than <laughs> what's already out yeah, there, right? Yeah. So many people make this issue. Um, so many people make that mistake. <laughs> I think um, like even for some other projects I did, I, I also made that mistake. And really, if you, can, if you can find a service out there that does what you want to do, then just use that. Mm. But, um, you know, obviously, like later down the line, when you realize that that service isn't um, good enough for you, for your um, use case, then I guess you can start you know, upgrading or finding your own solution. But yeah, don't reinvent the wheel. 
So would you say you used existing APIs and services already? Can you give us oh, a bit more detail? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't really <laughs> answer the question yet. So like converting to from video to text or audio to text, um, there's a Azure um, there's the Azure API that's provided by Microsoft that um, allows you to send in an audio file and get out the video transcript. Mm-hmm. And we essentially um, use, the, uh, use that along with a combination of other APIs and services and a bunch of other code combining it all together to... Um, you know, do the whole automation process. So it's really a lot of um, parts that are coming together to create this product. And right. um, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. So just leading on from that, um, how much of a role does the AI play? Um, is there an element of human verification still involved somewhere along the process? Yeah. So I think the interesting part about video automation is that, you know, it can be fully automated by AI, AI but you can also kind of modify it to suit your own, um, like the way you want to do it. So for example, for our service, um, you can actually modify how much, like um, how many media elements you're going to show in that video or like what's the animation style. And one thing we've done is um, once it's actually automated, you can actually edit on top of that. So I like to say that um, uh, we automate 90% of the work. And so the 10%, that's the final bit that really elevates the video to the next level. We leave that up to the users. So it isn't necessarily 100% automated by AI, but um, the tedious work, like you know, finding the images and doing all this stuff, really, really tedious stuff, we cut that out. So you can focus on the stuff that's important. Right, I have a question. Does your program, because AI, I guess, like learns with itself as, like, mm. as it processes more, is your application more machine learning where it is a tool already implemented using the existing services or does it learn as every user implements it more? So something um, about AI that um, that's pretty interesting is that um, many companies say that they use AI, but they don't really use it. <laughs> and, um, honestly, right now, we're not using the AI AI per se. Mm-hmm. We're um, applying the, like, the frameworks that are already out there. But in the future, we are planning on definitely, you know, integrating that um, that real AI into our product. So, for example, um, analyzing the input and being able to see, all right, what type of sentiment is there in this thing, and figuring out, um, you know, what's the best way to optimize the automation so that the video, you know, um, follows that sentiment. So, for example, say I'm creating a professional video, I want to create a consulting video, I don't know, to and show that to a client. You don't want to show a bunch of really like sad <laughs> images yeah. or like something really off-putting. You want to uh-huh. show something that's um, you know, upbeat or happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that type of stuff, that, that type of stuff can be um, definitely be um, uh, optimized with AI. Um, and that's something that we are going to plan on um, doing in the mm-hmm. future. But the, the machine learning, um, you know, all that data stuff, we aren't really doing it right now. We've kind of le- left that stuff to the APIs that are out there. They've already right. got all the... Um, text analytics and all that stuff um, down. Right, so something I'm really curious about is you know how like your product gets the sentiment? Does it detect the sentiment from the from the script that's given or does the user give in the sentiment and then the um, product or like the program like searches the picture database and hmm. uses? So something, um, um, so, uh, the sentiment feature is something that we're currently um, thinking about and working on and um, it definitely can work both ways. It can work through the um, the algorithm, finding out what sentiment is there, is there, or from the user. And I guess um, 
that will kind of change the flavor like of which like the flavor of the automation right so like if the user for example is giving the um the algorithm assessment then it's like the user has more control mm-hmm. um but then if the algorithm is doing it it's kind of like making it a bit easier i guess so i guess um you could have an in-between where if the user doesn't specify which sentiment they want, you know, the algorithm does the work. So really, it's it's just about, um, I think, for that type of thing, it's just like um, figuring out what's the best for the user. Do, the, do we want the user to have, um, like, the most flexibility, customizability, or do we want to make it as easy, easy as possible? Or find an in-between, of course. Right, and for these, like, photos and databases or the videos, are they supplied by the user as well? Or is it, are you searching it on Google Images and say, mm. will there ever be copyright issues? Or like with stock photos or like stuff. Yeah. So on, on that issue of copyright, that's a big um that's a big um problem that we're facing. Um, but we um what we're doing actually is right now we're using these stock footage sites that provide okay. copyrighted images. Um, I I do think that um, it's it's really on the users' end um whether or not they how the way whether or not they use copyrighted images or not, because we we do allow users to um add their own images like after. So um, I, I think for, for the topic of copyrighted images, we, we don't give them uncopyrighted, like we don't like give them images that are copyrighted. Yeah. And then um, the user has the option of adding their own custom images. So um, I'll give you an example actually. So um, my brother's assignment that, um, so the video that I created for my brother, um, it basically um, I recommended a bunch of uh, uh, you know, um, a bunch of those images that are legal, and then after that, he he was able to upload his own custom images, um, and media that he wanted, and so I guess on, that would um, that issue of copyright would fall to him uh, mm. at the end. Right. So just in terms of like legal liabilities, um, are you planning to communicate to the user that they shouldn't be um, using these videos for like a commercial setting because Currently, I think if you if you like make a video but it has copyrighted footage, I think you are actually allowed to publish it, but it's only meant to be for like leisure and yeah. like only personal reasons. Yeah. So has has that um, come up as as like a factor to consider? Yeah, that's that's actually something that um in the early days we were like we were thinking about a lot about that copyright issue, and um I'll, I'll talk briefly about um uh what we what we were doing um. So, uh, so in the early days, we were um we were scraping for Reddit, right? And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's uh that's not exactly the most uh you know legal legal thing you can do, but um like yeah, the issue of copyright really is like something that has to be acknowledged. Um, if you're gonna be releasing content um for a commercial purpose for advertisement or whatever, you need to make sure that the content you're um giving um you're giving the algorithm or the algorithm is giving you is um, legal to use. Yes, for, so for, I think, um, yeah, that issue of make, ensuring that the users are using the service correctly and not abusing it um, is a big um, thing that we need to consider. And ensuring that, you know, like for, for leisure purposes, you know, if you're just showing this to a few friends or family, you know, you can um, add whatever you want. But um, yeah, for the advertising and putting on YouTube and all that other stuff, yeah. It's a big issue, copyright. 
I have a question. I just realized you guys have a script. Is there a voiceover from the user or is it the auto, like a so Google Siri going I'll, on? I'll talk about that actually. Um, so if you're giving it a script, um, we actually have text-to-speech services that are actually um, pretty realistic. So it just gives that um, by default. And the idea is that um, once it's created, you've got this like reference point which you can look at and see, all right, so it sounds like this. This is what um, someone it would sound like. And then after that, you can record your own voice over that and right. replace it. So that way, um, I feel like it, it kind of brings the video to life if you have the text speech. And then you can like see, all right, here's where um, you know the video kind of sounds a bit weird with this um, text speech and modify it. And then later on, add your own personal touch. Because I, I do think um, adding that final bit of, um, you know, adding that final human voice really elevates uh, videos to another level. Right. Okay. So is is that like relating back to your original point about how you want to make it easy for a user to create a video? And like one of the hard parts is maybe like timing your voiceovers correctly so that yeah, yeah the images and the voice sync up. Yeah, that's exactly the point, right? It's I'm like that's this is some of those points that you brought up were some things that we realized along the way that you know adding those voiceovers like can be really hard. I remember like actually um, like a few years ago when I, when I had to create a video essay for um, my English subject at, in high school. I had to create a video essay and I had to do a bunch of voiceovers and I had to do so many different retakes over these small parts, right? It's really hard to do a whole audio recording in one take. Say like if you're, if you're speaking for five minutes, it's really hard to get five minutes correct. But you can get 10 seconds correct really easily. You can get um, 10 seconds, you know, perfect. And so that idea of... Um, you know, being able to do those voiceovers in those in these small segments really makes the whole um, process of adding your voice much easier. So, yeah. Cool. Right, and just as another point, what um, existing softwares are you using to like um, for the text to speech component? Mm. So the text to speech component, um, there's this there's actually this really cool service called um, Lover AI. Um, they're, they're they're also a startup. Um, I think the founders were from Berkeley. Um, but yeah, we, we were in talks with them um, uh, like a few months ago. Um, we were working with them on, it's a really, really like amazing um, text-to-speech like service. I highly recommend checking it out after like, because like, it's, like, it's, it's really realistic. I would say Ooh. if I was to give it like a percentage of how realistic it is, it's, it's a 90 to 95% realistic. Do you think voice. that's like a problem with a lot of text-to-speeches now? Mm. Like especially like Microsoft, um, yeah. Cortana? Have you ever heard of it? Oh my god, it like scares me. That, yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, the how 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 realistic um these technologies are becoming and how how they're like essentially being able um are able to mimic human behavior like it's crazy like um yeah I think the the field of AI has advanced so much that um these these services are only getting better and better and there definitely needs to be a more like how would you say stringent laws like more stringent laws and regulations over these services because i i definitely see like these services being misused by people in the future i mean you know it i think it's already been it's already happening um lots of people are misusing it right now and um obviously a bit up we we want to make sure that people are using our services ethically and um, yeah. not doing those types of things but um yeah, that's a that's a big issue that we need to face in the coming years. So with like finding these packages and services, 
Um, do you have any tips and advice to the listeners on like how to start essentially? Like say they have an idea, did you guys just like Google it and just search from it? Or like how did you like organize it into individual like things you got to do and how did you like break it down? Yeah, so I, th- I think you said it yourself, breaking it down is the most important part. Breaking down big tasks into small, um, e- easy to bite um, pieces. So, um, and also on that point of like st- starting with these big projects, um, yeah, just breaking it down um, and really, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't say overthinking it, like don't overthink that whole process. Yeah, so break it down, don't overthink it. And just just get into it. Just start looking around. Just start doing Google searches. Uh, you have nothing to lose. Cool. I think um, something people people do wrong is like they overthink it. They they say, "Oh, I want to make sure that everything's perfect before I start." Yeah. Like, and you don't need to get everything perfect before you start. Like, you're gonna get it perfect as you go along. You know, it's like getting it perfect at the start defeats the whole purpose of like the whole <laughs> you know the whole, the whole journey you know wow great great advice great mindset um i think another question we had is did you have any like experiences in nyan coding before you founded vidup and also mm. are there any useful unsw courses that you've done that helped in developing the software yeah so i'll just talk briefly about this um i think this uh this side project i did for like um 1511 so um, I actually ended up like it was like a hobby project. Um, I created a like a neural network from scratch in Python. It's it's not as complex as it sounds. Actually, it is kind of complex. But um, I basically just like um, read some of the mathematical literature and like like I don't know how long I spent debugging this program. <laughs> but um, yeah, I ended up creating a really really basic neural network that like basically mimicked the XOR function. Um, but yeah, these like. I think having those experiences, like being able to see like, um, how these technologies work like in person by applying it and doing it yourself, really gives you an insight into you know, the power of these technologies. So like, even though I, obviously I could watch someone on YouTube you know, creating a neural network and having this effect, like being able to see for yourself what it looks like, um, I think is really cool. And so I think, um, most of most of the things that really helped out were the side projects, but some courses that at uni that I think are really great. Two zero four one great um, great course for uh, GitHub. Is that and software also, construction? Yeah, software construction. That's a it's a great course. A lot of course I, I reckon is pretty good as well. Is also one five three one. You get to work with um, other people in a group. I think one five three one is great for learning those like those um, the concepts of agile development. Yes. Yeah. Agile development in a startup is like essential, like cool. essential to making something um succeed yeah definitely do you have any like tips on like people starting their own small personal projects before jumping to like a big um startup project so i I always think like just find something you really like to do something you're really interested in and i'll give some examples um so in high school there was there was this um there was this framework called p5js that was like an animation library in javascript and i i think with that framework, you were able to create lots of really cool um, small projects. Like you were able to create a rain rain animation. It's just like a basically like a um, animations library um, that allows you to do really really cool things with um, little amounts of code. Um, but yeah, just if you just find something that you're really passionate about and um, just start coding away, 
and use these really um, cool libraries, um, it really makes things really exciting. So I guess if I was to summarize, find something that you're passionate about and then find um, cool libraries to leverage to um, you know, kind of take your passion to a next level, to the next level. Just on that, as someone who has tried to search up these very powerful third-party Python modules, how do you deal with um, the problem of you, you try to search up the documentation, but it's really hard to read and it's really hard to understand and there's not much help available online? Yeah, that. that's a, that is a big problem. Uh, I think um, for, that, for that example I gave, there were actually lots of resources on YouTube um, of people using that framework to create lots of cool side projects. So I, I do think it, is, it does help to have um, a well-documented library that, that you want... Um, that, um, that you want to use yeah so would you say it's like important that like if, if you want to use a library but then in the discovery process or the research process you learn that there's not much documentation would you say it's like not worth using that module in that case i wouldn't say it's not worth i, I would just say you'd have to weigh the um weigh the things that might happen like you could encounter um pretty terrible bugs and you then you have to go through the whole process of like actually contacting the developers of this of the library i mean that that can lead to actually um co like yourself contributing to the pre um the library itself <laughs> but I, if, if you see that as a good thing um so it really depends do you want to are, are you are you um do you just want to create a project really fast and quick and not have to worry about um dealing with these really like game breaking bugs or whatever or do you want to um you know maybe actually get involved with the, the library you know Right, I, I think that it is a like a compromise on time versus just curiosity. Like that's that's what it like. Yeah, put it out. To I, I think um see. yeah, you want to use your time efficiently so that um you can get the most out of it. Cause if like honestly, no one really wants to be debugging some small like, like really unknown bug, <laughs> like I like it. <laughs> At like 1 a.m. in the morning. It's like all of us in our assignments to do. But <laughs> yeah, everyone just, um, we all want to just, you know, be able to have an idea and then put that idea into action. That's what we all want to do. So I think, um, yeah, if, if you're working with a library and you want to get something out there um, that's powerful, best to get a well-documented library, yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, we'll move on into like just a section on advice for the readers. I know I've already asked a few questions on advice. Just as a first up, what is your advice for students who want um, to like improve on their teamwork skills in the context of programming projects? Hmm. Yeah, so teamwork is a big thing that um, I'm currently working on right now for um, VidUp itself. So I, I, I really think a big thing about teamwork is getting everyone involved. Right, um, making sure that everyone, um, you know, is has the same goal and vision inside their head, and that everyone is making an impact. Because the worst thing about you know working in a pro uh, in a team project is someone not pulling their weight, not seeing the goal, not seeing what we want to do, and yeah, that just that just isn't a good feeling having someone um, not pull their weight. So I think a big part. Make sure that the what we're aiming for, what we're aiming to do is really clear, and the other part is making sure that everyone is has an impact, has has a role in the team. So 
Are you a bit, are you a bigger fan of like axing people if they don't contribute or are you more of a fan of um, giving people chances and like trying to recover from mm. like a lack of commitment? So I think for these types of things, we need to um, kind of see from another person's perspective. So being able to see from another, pers- another person's perspective and be empathetic is really important, right? If someone's working on a team, they're not pulling the weight but they're really bogged down by life and lots of these other things, you know, it helps understand where they're coming from and then work and take that that perspective into account and, um, you know, seeing what, how we can accommodate for them. Because oftentimes, you know, we, we can never really understand what someone else's like situation is like. I've personally had, um, I've personally been in that situation where a friend wasn't really putting the weight but then I later found out that they had some, they had a lot of family issues at home and lots of things that came up that, you know, honestly were bigger than just school. So I think having that perspective, but then ultimately, like, even if, if you, if you um, discuss with that person and understand the perspective and they still don't, um, you know, meet your demands, like, like say, obviously when I say demands, I don't mean like you have to do this. I'm saying, um, the updated demands, you know, that take into account the perspective. If they don't meet those demands or whatever, in that case, you know, I would consider, you know, having a real deep chat with them about, you know, how it's how the team's going and whatever. Right. Um, branching off, what is your advice for um, people who uh, want to learn new skills in like programming? Yeah, new skills. I think... Um, we're always learning new skills. That's a big part of being like a programmer. And um, I think immersing yourself like in the, in the field um, really, I think um, if you want to learn skills, the best way to do it is be around people who are also learning skills, be, be around people who are also passionate about really um, developing their um, programming expertise. So personally um, in high school, I found that, being around um, fellow programmers and seeing what they were doing at, in Cyprix um, really motivated me to develop um, my skills. Like, so surround yourself with people who are committed to learning and it'll come naturally. You'll, you'll see people working on these projects and you'll be motivated to say, hey, they work on this really cool project. I want to do that too. I want to also learn that. And um, you can talk with them, learn from them. And yeah, so it's really all about that building that network around you makes things much easier um do you do you think in terms of um like embarking on projects how important do you think is it to to be realistic in in the sense that like if if there's like a project that you want to undertake but like you probably know it's it's not going to be feasible for you as like a programmer do you think you should still undertake it and like pursue the ambition or do you think you should be like more realistic i think you should pursue it like what what's the harm in not like in like in pursuing like really along the way you're gonna be learning so many new skills like like the harder the <laughs> really what I found is the harder the um thing you're you're trying to do the more you learn like I, like I'll I'll, I'll 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 draw this back to the um that neural network project I was doing at that time because <laughs> at that time I had like zero understanding of calculus right I was like completely <laughs> um blind to that t- side of things and. I remember learning so much about like neural networks and cause like you're learning from the perspective of like complete beginner and 
if you think about what it's like for a complete beginner, it's like you're drinking the knowledge like from a water hose, right? And so I think that's the that's the way I see it. Like the harder it is, the better. Right. So you're, you're a fan of being thrown in the deep end pretty much. Yeah. Do you think that students should like adopt that approach when we, we, when we choose what courses we want to take? Mm. I, I think um, for that type of thing, it is, it is good to understand where your strengths lie. Um, when, I, when I was talking about like throwing stuff in the deep end, I don't mean like the deep, deep, like, like um, I don't mean like throwing yourself in like a completely different area that you have like no expertise in. But um, challenge yourself, that, that is what I mean. Like challenge yourself to do things that are bordering on, you know, I don't know if I can do this. Like it's just to just to see. I think uh, the good thing about um, your snob is you can kind of like you can, you can choose to drop a course like mm. if you don't like it after a certain while, and so it doesn't yeah, hurt to census, experience yeah. it. It doesn't hurt to experience what this course has to offer. Mm. What I do say is, if you don't like the, what the course is offering after like a certain amount of time, don't feel forced to like stay in the course just to, you know, just for the sake of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you don't see yourself gaining anything from a course after a certain while then there's no point doing it. But do challenge yourself, I think, because um, that's the only way you're going to learn things. All right. Um, we'll begin to wrap things up with our last topic, talking about the future. Um, what are your plans for the future of um, your startup? Are you like thinking like long-term in terms of like um, yeah. incorporation or anything? <laughs> like so, businessy? Yeah. We've actually already um, incorporated the company for VidUp. Um, and right now we're um, seeking, um, we're, we're trying to really get the product to that stage where we can, you know, launch our product. Um, we're thinking of seeking investment. Um, we've, we're actually signing up right now to um, an accelerator called Startmate. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like short-term things. In the long-term where I see VidUp going is um, really being an amazing service that makes life easier for content creators. And what we really want to do at VidUp is like kind of switch the focus from, you know, editing videos and doing all this tedious stuff to really focusing on the core message. And so we want to like simplify the whole process so that you have a message, you have something that you want to convey to your audience and you put it into VidUp with the click of a button, you get out a video. That's, I think, the the end goal with VidUp. And that's, right. yeah. And um are you, are you thinking of uh, in the future like moving to other ventures or creating other startup ideas? Yeah, um, I haven't really thought about that. Uh, I think right now um, what I'm trying to do is really like go go all in on VidUp and um, put in the the best effort that I can put in. I think um, I, I think I, I want to bring up this point that um, oftentimes many people work on lots of lots of different projects, right? But if they were to just work on a single project and put all their effort into that, how much more amazing would that one project be compared to like 10 projects per se? Right. Like, um, so you should like dedicate yourself to like a single goal. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not bad to have lots of different projects. It helps you find what you're passionate about. But once you find that thing you're really, really, really interested in, just go all in on it. Because I, I really do think that, um, you know, those... Like concentrated effort is much better than dispersed effort. Uh, I think that wraps it up for today. Uh, thanks, Jason, so much for your time today. Um, I hope that 
you as listeners took in a lot from our conversation with Jason and perhaps took a bit of inspiration from his um, startup ventures. Uh, as always, we're open um, to hearing about what our listeners have been up to. So if you have a project you want to talk about or you want to discuss, um, get in touch through us through the media website. Uh, thanks as always for tuning into this episode of the Echo Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.